everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. And I don't know about you, but after how things have played out today, I gotta say I'm a bit frustrated with Formula One. I am sorry, but you have been assessed a penalty for that statement. You must not speak for five seconds until and serve your penalty appropriately. I can't believe you're actually doing it. I can't believe you're actually capable of staying quiet for five whole seconds. Nope, sorry. I, I, I started talking 0.06 seconds before we hit the five seconds mark. I'm sorry. Now you have a 10 second penalty. This this show <laughs> will be the penalty edition uh, of The Bloke and the Bird. Yeah. So, you know, before we get started, well, actually, as we get started here, I, I think, first of all, we have to go and, you know, review the results of this week's Fantasy GP. The problem is... Penalties! Yeah. So... Oh, wait a minute. Revoking penalties. Or penalties that aren't penalties. As it stands right now, what we have for the standings was... Includes the penalties that were assessed but not the revoking of those penalties. Okay, it was recorded and calculated in the, what, two hours in which George Russell had third place because Alonzo was assessed a penalty and then it was revoked, but the Fantasy GP, as of the time of this recording, has not been updated yet. Yeah, they updated it to reflect the penalty, but they haven't updated yet to reflect... The points. The, well, the, the penalty being rescinded. So with that, let's go over where things stood. <laughs> toot, toot, chugga, chugga, big red car. We'll travel near and we'll travel far. A broken drive shaft in qualifying for Max Verstappen and two penalties for Fernando Alonso in race two of the 2023 season shuffled up the results with Patricia's The Bird team winning the week with 154 points. Jim's There's No Crying in Baseball was second with 143 points and Michael's Mach 5 Racing was just two points behind in third place. Phil's Team Rocket came in fourth with 120 points and it was another difficult weekend for Vicky's Housecats, who came in fifth with just 80 points. In the overall standings on the season, Michael's Mop 5 Racing remains in first place with 342 points, while Patricia's The Bird Team jumps up two positions and up into second place with 313 points. There's No Crying in Baseball holds on to third place with 303 points, and Team Rocket is on 293 points in fourth place, and the House Cats are holding on to fifth with 152 points. There's still time to join us for free by signing up at www.fantasygp.com and then entering in the lead code 148 31491. That's 148 31491. Eating apples and oranges and fruit salad too. You used Big Red Car from the Wiggles as the background music because the Big Red Car is just not performing. So actually, where I was, the, the whole reason why I, I I selected that song is because um, I don't know of any good Saudi music. So and and I figured that since our next race was Australia, that we would celebrate some of the not good music that came out of Australia. 
I was going to say the <laughs> cultural influences of Australia. The, the, the not good music that came out of Australia. So where is Jeff? <laughs> no, he has to wake up. No, you have to find him first. Well, and then wait, where's Jeff? Yeah, there's that too. Okay. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, so, you know, let, let, let's talk because I have some interesting statistics. Oh. Specifically interesting statistics around this while the penalty was still there. Okay. So, for starters, according to Fantasy GP, of everybody who is playing, 99.2% of the players selected Max on pole this weekend. 99.2%. So there are eight tenths of the total number of players that picked some, one of the other nineteen drivers. Yeah. Um, the the other thing that was interesting is that overall, only three percent of the players picked Russell to take third. Fifty percent, nearly fifty percent, predicted Alonso in third. I did not. Nor did you. No, no, I did predict Alonzo in third. No, you didn't. Pretty sure I did. I'm pretty sure that your podium matched my podium because I didn't think that it was going to move much, but I could be wrong. Um, the high score on the weekend was 215 points. Wow. Cool. So, moving forward from from that. We will, and, and actually, before we even go too much further, we will not have a show next weekend. No, we will not. Um, which means that our next update on the results will not just include, you know, the, the recalculation of the recalculation, but also the Australia results. Yes, it will. So, moving forward from there. Um, this week... And I, I didn't see it, but apparently PBS NewsHour ran a show around Haas Automation. Hmm. Or actually, not really a show, but but a, a story during NewsHour on Haas Automation. Um, apparently, it wasn't a very flattering story. It alleged that Gene Haas's company that makes the CNC machines... Uh, has been violating U.S. trade sanctions. Um, and, and they make this in reference to 18 Haas machines being used in Russia. Hmm. So Haas has put out a statement, and, and it came from... I, I think every aspect of, of Gene's companies put out the statement. I, Haas Automation put it out, Haas Racing put it out, and I think Stuart Haas put it out too. Everybody wanted be no misunderstanding here of what was going on. Um, I mean, I heard Gene Haas's gardener put out the statement too. <laughs> I mean, everybody in the Haas organization put a statement out. So what Haas has been very quick to say is that on March 3rd, 2022, after the invasion of Ukraine, Haas automation terminated in its entirety its relationship with its sole existing independent distributor for Russia and Belarus, Abimet Management. Since that date, Haas has not sold or shipped any machines, parts, or software to Abimet or anyone else in Russia. And they made this clear to PBS before the story was aired. 
Additionally, when they terminated their relationship with Abomet in March, Haas voluntarily canceled 50 existing machine orders from Abomet, even though such orders may have been permissible under the existing U.S. export control and sanctions regulations. Um, they also allege, PBS also alleged, I think, that there were several machines that were shipped, well, the 18 machines um, that ended up in Russia, um, that PBS alleged that they were shipped after those sanctions had happened. And Haas has been very quick to state that those went before the invasion happened, and they were shipped before the sanctions were put into place and before there was any restriction on trade. Okay. I believe that uh, Haas has also reached out to this reporter and told him that he was wrong. Please stop it. Yeah. Um, they, they have requested um, PBS issue a retraction. Uh, my understanding is they have not as of yet, but uh, Haas is fairly adamant that they are not violating U.S. trade sanctions. To be honest, I mean, timings and, and all sorts of things like that, it would not surprise me that Haas is not in violation because of how quickly they came down on distancing themselves with... Uh, so it wouldn't surprise it you? It would not surprise me that... I'm on the leaning towards believing Haas. Let's put it that there way. There we go. So it would surprise you if Haas was in violation. violation. It, that's, that's, it wouldn't like, surprise <laughs> me. Wouldn't surprise me if PBS was wrong. There we um, go. But I'm leaning towards believing Haas. I believe very strongly that they came down very appropriately and quickly um, and have taken a fairly strong stance. So just short of something being shipped right before the invasion and it landing after the invasion and thus causing a yeah. little bit of confusion, I, I, I'd be stunned. Honestly, I would be stunned if they actually violated the sanctions. I, I can't fault Haas for machines already being there and in use. Yeah. Um, you know, as long as they were sent over there legally to begin with, I can't fault them for those machines being there and being used. Yeah, that, that, yeah, I agree with you there. So either the, the story is reaching or there's some nuance that's missing. Yeah. Like they arrived two weeks after the invasion, but were shipped a month before and, that changes the the schedule. That changes the meaning of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the FIA has announced after um, consultations with the drivers and a long and potentially one-sided conversation with Pierre Gasly. Um, if you recall, last year, Pierre Gasly was facing a race ban due to the number of penalty points on his license. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pierre was kind of upset over this because where he was getting, the reason why he was getting assessed the penalty points was for track limits violations. And what Pierre, basically Pierre's stances, and, and he was right, was that, you know, yes, he was in violation of the rules, but the whole point of the penalty point system was to crack down on dangerous driving and to hold drivers responsible for dangerous driving. And while, yes, exceeding track limits violates the rules, and we have said that we support efforts to crack down on track limits violations, it's not a safety issue. Not unless you're re-entering the track unsafely. 
But that would but, be but a the, different violation. Yeah, that, that's, but that's a different penalty and carries with it different consequences. His issue was, you know, I get too many um, going over the limit violations and you're giving me penalties for that. And he sh- drivers shouldn't be facing a race ban for track limits violations. Well, on that point, I, I definitely agree with him on. Um, you know, the the point of points on your license, whether it's a super license or your own personal driver's license, is to remove people from the road who are dangerous. Mm-hmm. It is the reason Roman Grosjean got a race ban and was yeah. sat out a race uh, many years ago. He was a danger on the track, and you give them points for that. You don't give them points for things that are not safety, not about danger. dangers. You can still be sanctioned. And, and that's one of the things to be clear is sanctions can still happen, but not points on your license that can lead to a ban. So the F, after the, the, the talks that Pierre had, um, the FIA went back and had conversations internally. They went to the teams. They went to uh, GPDA and several others. And they have acknowledged that, yes, the original intention of the penalty point system was to prevent dangerous driving. And as a result, um, what they are going to do is they will only hand out points for offenses that are deemed unsafe. For rule breaches that are more sporting related, like track limits breaches, then no points will be given out from now on. And this actually went into place starting with Bahrain, and they did. They issued sanctions for track limits violations, but not penalty points. I think that's reasonable. So I, I, I support that. I think that that's that's a good move. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm getting this coming in right now from the, uh, the podcast director. Uh, saying that you are in violation of the podcast sporting rules. Um, I think you are going to have points assessed to your podcasting license. I don't fully understand the penalty. I'm waiting for it to come up on the screen. But apparently you are in violation. You have been deemed unsafe as podcaster. You know something? If I'm going to get a violation... I'm going to make it worth it. So I got your violation right here, buddy. (laughs) Remember, we do want to keep our clean rating. I I did not use inappropriate language. (laughs) That's why I didn't say where you could put your violation. (laughs) Uh, Podcast director is uh, issuing you a warning that further uh, investigations may be coming. Please control your outbursts that is against the podcast sporting regulations are are, are the marshals flying the special black black and white flag yes oh oh, oh, it's a white and something flag (laughs) (laughs) are you saying it's a brown flag is that what you're calling it is that what you're trying to say speaking of new restrictions and potential penalties so the the traditional pre-race track walk Mm -hmm. and there are set times during the weekend that drivers and teams go and walk the track and you know they compare notes and talk about lines and and areas to to know as, as you're going around there well a lot of the drivers and a lot of the teams 
enjoy doing that by bicycle. Um, you know, there was years ago on BBC um, in their coverage le- leading up, I think it was Canada. It was David Cothart and Sebastian Vettel on bicycles going around the track in Montreal with Sebastian singing, want to ride my bicycle, <laughs> hitting the high notes. Well, he was wearing spandex. Yeah. I think that was during his Red Bull days too. Yeah. What it probably was. Yeah. Um, well, bicycles are now banned. Why? Um, according to the FIA, Thursday track walks, period, must only be walked. Apparently, over the last couple of years, there's been a proliferation during these track walks of scooters and e-bikes and bicycles. And it's gotten a bit hectic, especially since a lot of times it's not just the F1 teams doing the walks. It's the F2 and F3 teams doing the walks as well. So it gets kind of crowded with all of these extra vehicles. And then as we've seen a few times, like Sky and some of the other media outlets will go out on golf carts during the walk and do filming on top of it. So as a result, they have banned any kind of track walk if you're not walking. So no wheels allowed. Correct. No wheelie shoes, no roller skates, no roller blades. Lando Norris has actually come out and said that, you know, if if this is really going to stick, he's not doing track walks anymore because he prefers to do it on bicycle. Mm. So if he can't bring his bicycle out onto the track, he says he'll sit in, a, in a, the driver's room and they'll sit and they'll go over the video and they'll take the notes that way. I wonder if the right answer is doing a separate time. Like have a a group that walks because they prefer to walk and another group that's on a bike. Well, there's only two windows over the weekend for these walks to begin with. So I think that's also part of the challenge is scheduling the timing like they need to. There was also... At least this weekend, apparently, they cut one of the track walks shorter than normal because Formula One, and I think it was Will I Am, was shooting a music video around the track mm. that weekend. And they had a show car out there, and they wanted the track clear for that. But that cut down on the time that was available for the track walks. See, and that's why golf carts and bicycles would be a superior option. I, I don't know. So, no more bikes on the track walks, at least for now, until until somebody gets annoyed. Because who knows, maybe they'll rescind those penalties. And they've had a history of that. So, last weekend. Did you see the meme? I think Ocon posted it. Ocon posted it and I shared it with you. Of that Ocon would be not able to... breaking news. Breaking news. Okan would not be racing in Saudi Arabia because he was still serving penalties in Bahrain. Yeah. Personally, I thought he won social media that day. <laughs> um, I mean, seriously, could one kid get more penalties? That was kind of a disaster showing. Um, and I, I, I do think what we saw 
both last weekend, and, and I'm surprised it hasn't been an issue before, but what we saw last weekend and what we saw this weekend around serving these five-second penalties, I think there's an actual problem here that needs to be addressed. Um, the biggest being the fact that there really is no indication to the teams and the pit crew exactly when that five seconds starts. And it's up to the team and the pit crew to actually determine if they've waited long enough. Mm -hmm. So what we saw with Esteban is that he pulled in, he was waiting, and we heard that the rear jackman jumped the gun and put the car on the jack before he was supposed to. And we're talking a fraction of a second. Right. And as a result, he got hit with a 10-second penalty. And then coming in, I think, served that when he got hit with another five seconds for speeding in the pit lane. Mm -hmm. I get the speeding in the pit lane one. I, I, I thought that was the whole point of rev limiter, so I don't fully understand how that doesn't... how we still have those penalties. Because I thought the rev limiter and the speed limiter for the pit lane was an automatic turn-on. But okay, fine, it happened... But I question this whole thing about it's the team's responsibility to figure out whether or not they've hit the five seconds and then they're getting hit for penalties for fractions of a second thereof. So I've been thinking about this. I mean, in my copious free time. Mm -hmm. How could we make it better? Because... Five-second penalties, 10-second penalties are mm -hmm. powerful penalties. And that's the point. And that's the reason. So I got to thinking, what would happen if they never served them in the pit lane? If So if you, they set up a penalty box. If they set up a penalty box, that could be one way of doing it, that you had to pull over and serve your penalty mm -hmm. before you got to where the pits are. That would be one. Um, but the other, just add it to their time. Because the reality is, and I I, I, I know what the objection is going to be. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, they'll, they'll, they'll race harder and overcome the penalty. But that's, that's what fine. They, but that's what they wind up trying to do anyway. So why not just, we're going to add it to your time at the end of the race. Then nobody's got a question as to did they stop long enough. Or, yeah. oh, they stopped for six seconds. and I, I think the reason why I would rather they don't do that is because it's not an obvious influence to the race. You know, but by forcing the driver into either a penalty box or a drive-through penalty where they've just got to drive through the pits. And maybe that's the, the thing, is maybe we need to see more of the old drive-through penalties again. Because I can't recall the last time we've seen a drive-through. Um, but maybe it's a return of the drive-throughs, something along those lines. Because I do think it's important that there is a visual indication during the race and impacting the race while it happens of a penalty. And if you just add it to the end of the race, yes, they can push through and all, but it doesn't have the same impact to the fans because it, the penalty doesn't happen till afterwards. 
Well, I mean, yes. What would have to happen would be you'd get the the way they finish and then the reshuffling of the results based mm-hmm. on penalties assessed. And I hear that. I'm thinking of the the TV fans, which would be the large majority. We could have a graphics package where you indicate that somebody has a penalty or you adjust the the rankings in the graphics package to indicate where they really are. You could do that at the track also. Yes, you would see XYZ person cross the line before, you know, ABC person, but you would have seen on the graphics that they were behind based on the the timings. As much as I, I hate to say we should be doing stuff for the show, it, 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 it doesn't improve the show to add the even if you put it part of the graphics packages it doesn't improve the show it doesn't add it, it doesn't do as much for the drama of the penalty and the psychological impact of the penalty if it's just assessed at the end of the race All right, point point taken now I will tell you that the drive through penalty is probably a more severe penalty than a five second penalty because of the speed limits in the pit lane, I don't think that that would equal a five second. So no, it, it may be it like a be 20 more. second. It would be more. It's because it forces them into the pit. Right. And so that may be why we're not seeing those is they're trying not to have such wide swinged, swung penalties. But there has to be a way. There has to be a way. Even if it is nothing more than a spot at the end of the pit lane. So you come into the pit lane, you stop, full stop mm-hmm. and then you can go to your pit even that is a penalty i mean that would actually, be actually you know what what and, and i know even that's a little difficult so my concern with doing that is that okay somebody comes in for a penalty they serve that five second penalty and if it's part of the pit lane there is the potential that that car sitting in the penalty box could interfere with somebody who is just like we see with a regular pit stop is, you know, if cars are coming in too tightly packed, that movement in a pit lane can, can impact pit stops. Mm-hmm. Cars being held, cars being... And, and I wouldn't want a car under penalty to have that impact. Now, races where there is um, a separate support pit, you know, the, the support races, the F2 and F3, use a separate pit lane like over at Silverstone. And I think even in, in Saudi that it looked like there was one available for them. If you set the pit box up or, or the penalty box there, because then it wouldn't have any impact on the actual Formula One pit lane, that could be interesting. But there's not a lot of tracks that, that not all the tracks have that. I, I think we, I think we, I think, the greater formula one body could get creative with how you do it maybe it's a track by track way Mm -hmm. it's no different in my mind than if you leave the track on one of the tracks where you have to enter again to the left of a bollard and that alone is the penalty to keep people on the track and it's like maybe at that track if you get a penalty then you actually have to go off the track and go around a special bollard that would be a way to do it it's there's got to be a creative way mm-hmm. to make it so that it is very very clear you have a penalty you are serving just the penalty and that's the thing is every team ever 
that has served a five second penalty, almost always we hear the radio call. We serve five seconds plus a little, mm-hmm. plus a little, because they're worried about when does race control stopwatch start and my stopwatch start. Yeah. And those stopwatches are not connected. And when, when you're talking less than half a second, mm-hmm. it, it does make you wonder, you know, is it just a matter of somebody stopped the stopwatch a little bit faster than the other one? I mean, half a second. Well, let's see. We're monitoring our podcast right now. Mm-hmm. And I can't actually keep up with being able to say, that's a half a second. I mean, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. It, 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 and, and this was less than half a second that caused him to get the second round of penalties. Now, the issue that started this whole thing, and it's the same thing that carried over this weekend, was... Ocon wasn't properly lined up in his box. And to be clear, it wasn't that he was too far forward or too far backwards. It was he wasn't properly centered in the box. In Ocon's case, I think he was too far to the right. In um, Fernando's case, he was too far to the left. The problem here, and, and it, in a way, I, I kind of understand it. You know, you, you want the, the cars lined up in the appropriate location to start the race. But apparently, the drivers can't see these lines. Now, we know when it comes to where they should pull up to so that they, you know, they're not too far forward. A couple of years ago, they extended the lines so that they were more visible from inside the car because the drivers couldn't see it. Clearly, we've got to do something. And because they extended those lines, how the FIA didn't realize that this was going to be a problem, I don't know. Okay. I hear you. I understand that it is entirely possible that they can't see the lines. Mm-hmm. However, here's the here's the issue I have with that theory. Nineteen other people got into their box in the appropriate spot. Nineteen other people in both races were in their box correctly. Yeah, and and, and that's a valid point, but it becomes a question of, at least to me, of, yes, 19 drivers did, but now for the second race in a row, a different driver and a different team, the same problem. So, you know, if this happens every single race, are you still going to turn around and say, well, 19 other drivers managed to figure it out? Or are you going to go, huh, every race we seem to have the same stupid penalty pop up? It would 100% depend on if it's this, if it becomes a commonality with specific drivers. If you're telling me that we have 22 races this year and a different one of our 20 drivers lines up inappropriately in a box for every one of those races... I'm going to call this is a coordinated effort is what I'm going to call that. But you're telling me, I, I just remember a couple of years ago, the thing was, um, was it Lewis did it? And then Verstappen might've done it where they line up in the box cockamamie. They turned in, in the box. Well, this is supposed to cut down on some of that as well, but 
Yeah, the two of them... And, well, and, playing and games. They, they weren't the only ones. It, it was a long stand. We, we'd seen Valtteri do it a few times. We'd seen Seb do it a few times. You know, making it clear that their intention was they were cutting to the middle of the track. Mm-hmm. They were coming across whoever was sitting in a position next to them. And, and I'm coming across mm-hmm. you is what that said. And the, they, they can still do that. But they got to keep it within the bounds of the box. And I am kind of sympathetic to this idea of if you're going to tell the drivers they need to be in the box, you need to make sure that they can see where to line up with. Right now, my guess is dependent on the vehicle in front of them and trying to line up based on that. Now, Fernando said that that part of his problem, and he probably kind of right was that he lit up the tires at the last second to try and get or keep some heat in there just before the start and that put the car off at an odd angle and at that point he lost the references to where to line up to i i just think if you're going to turn around and say you this is the place that you need to be then you need to make sure that the drivers have a way to, to figure that out and everyone's saying that because of the the position of the drivers they can't see a line that's next to the car and we know this historically they can't see a line that's next to the car and you know when it comes to the turns and figuring out whether or not they are within the bounds of the track they're using other references because they can't see exactly where the wheel goes and that's some of the reason why you know they, they run over and i don't have a problem with that because they're pushing they're deliberately pushing the boundaries I'm not convinced that there's any advantage to them being two inches to the left. Well, I don't think there's necessarily any advantage to being two inches to the left. Alonzo was a foot or so to the I, left. I, I didn't recall exactly where he was, so I don't know. It looked like it, it but, looked from the video that he was almost a tire's width to the left. But I I go back to I'm sure there is references they've figured this out for a long time i wanted to say last week was a fluke it's possible that it's two flukes i mean it's possible but i have sympathy that they can't see the line exactly what alonzo described i'm not entirely sure he could have corrected for there's that possibility too which may be why I think he took the penalty as calmly as he did. And that may be. Where that leads back into now is what happened later on. Mm-hmm. And we are jumping around just because we're talking about penalties and all this stuff is related. So Alonzo gets his first five-second penalty. When he finally comes in, under safety car, because, I mean, come on, that was awesome. That was brilliant. I mean, and, and you know, it worked out perfectly for him. I, I, I don't question that at all. I don't begrudge him that either. I mean, that was pretty awesome. And and he came in on lap 18 of a 50-lap race. Mm-hmm. He comes in on lap 18, serves his penalty, and away he goes. And then what were we? Five laps, or is it three laps, before the end of the race... And we start hearing rumblings that Fernando might get a 10-second penalty. Yeah. 
Why? I think he said something about 35 laps. They said nothing. It was more than 35 laps. They went the entire race. All because apparently, once again, Rear Jackman and a different team touched the car before the full five seconds had run out. Now, in this case, I think Ocon's Rear Jackman actually lifted the car. Yeah. I believe Alonzo's Jackman just bumped the car. Like, he didn't... I'm not clear. It, it was pretty clear in the FIA's... Uh, the F1 article that talked about the rescinding um, that they posted that it was touched the car. That mm-hmm. no, no, quote, work was done. That was the argument that yeah. Aston Martin had was that there was no work. But the the difference being that there was, there's sort of been a gentleman's agreement that's not an agreement, well, apparently. We, we haven't even gotten to that point yeah. yet. Because I, I still go back to this happened, and this was apparently pretty obvious that it happened. And we went the entire race. We went 35 laps. We went the entire race. We went through a podium ceremony. And then all of a sudden we assess a penalty. There was no word of an investigation or anything else. And I just, I don't understand how that could happen. How that could be allowed to happen. This this wasn't some, I mean, it wasn't like this was a crazy race where there was all kinds of rain going on and folks were, were, were skidding off out of, you know, over the line left and right. And there was all kinds of contact and all kinds of, there wasn't any of that. So I don't understand why this couldn't have been investigated and dealt with during the race. I don't know. Maybe they were having the same argument you and I are having in the race control. But then if that's the case, just given what we have seen happen traditionally, if this was being assessed, if it was being discussed... There should have been notification to the press and to the fans that Alonzo was under investigation. And there was no notice that Alonzo was under investigation up until the point that we heard rumblings from the teams that maybe we needed to watch the gaps because something might be coming to Alonzo. Well, then the question becomes, how did the teams get that? If there was no other notifications, could we have had a failure of notification system, which is something that's happened before? It, it It's possible. That's one of the things that we need to understand, though. What, was there a failure in communication? Or was this a team decided to go run to FIA and say, hey, whoa, 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 we saw this guy touch the car. But again... So are the teams running stopwatches to make sure penalties are served, right? I mean, this is the job of the FIA. So the FIA should have been monitoring that penalty. So why didn't the FIA catch it if it was a team that brought it to their attention? And I thought the teams couldn't talk to them anymore. Exactly. So, you know, and we have to be clear because the podcasting regulations require that we must be clear and i'm not going to get a penalty you will get all the penalties that's your penalty right here anyway we have to be clear it is speculation that a team ran 
to the FIA. A- absolutely. It is speculation that it's a was a not- failure of the notification system. For all we know, race control thought they pushed the button that said there was an investigation, and they failed to push the button. But but even even still, it shouldn't have taken from lap eighteen to after the podium ceremony to figure out whether or not a penalty needed to be assessed. That penalty should have been assessed within 10 to 15 laps. They should have been able to figure that out. Definitely by the end of that race. It shouldn't shouldn't have influenced the podium ceremony, and yet it did. So I have a theory. Again, it's a speculation. I have a theory. It was in the latter laps of the race that it starts trickling down that there was the potential of a 10-second mm-hmm. penalty to Alonso. This is why I wonder if a team brought it to them. I can't, I can't speculate on that. But here's what I'm thinking. That when that started coming down, I think that the race control had informed the teams that they were investigating it. For whatever reason, the notification system was not doing what it normally does. That they were investigating it, they were looking at it, and the teams were adjusting appropriately because that's what you do. You hear somebody's mm-hmm. going to get a penalty, you start asking people to speed up. They reached out to Alonzo. They told him that there might be a penalty. I mean, everybody was sort of aware that something was going on. I well, believe that somewhere between laps. 40 and 50 is when race control decided they were going to investigate it. They may have tried to ignore it. They may have discussed whether or not they were going to investigate it. But I think it took between 40 and 50 to decide to investigate it. And that's why it came down after the podium ceremony. I'm not as upset that the penalty came down after the podium ceremony as much as I'm upset that they didn't do the normal notification in a timely manner because quite frankly, it was a one-stop race. They were not going to come back in for, to serve the penalty. It was always going to be assessed after the race. I would have been okay with them assessing the penalty if this was something that happened in the last 10 laps of the race. They went more than half race distance. Actually, I'm going to go with it was a one-stop race. It was known to be a one-stop race. It was not going to be a two-stop race. They there went was more no... than half race distance before they assessed a penalty. There was no reason or rush for them to assess a penalty that was only going to be attached after the race because they weren't coming back into the pits to do another pit stop. But but you didn't know that. There was no way of knowing that when the infringement happened. That that that's why, and 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 it's been an ongoing issue for the last well, the eleven years that we've watched Formula One. Nobody likes the fact that we have a race that is finished, and then everybody sits around twiddling their thumbs, waiting for the stewards to come out and issue a ruling that changes the results. Because that's what happened. We went because they didn't assess a penalty in a timely manner. We got all the way through, changed the results. We had a podium ceremony where 
for at least a stretch, the wrong driver was on the podium because a penalty should have been assessed and wasn't. That's not fair to anybody, including the fans. And I'm sorry, I I don't agree with, well, it was a a one-stop race and the penalty was going to be assessed at the end. Well, that's fine. At the end, before the podium ceremony, that penalty should have been assessed, and it wasn't. And that's a problem. We shouldn't have races where we're assessing penalties after the standings have come out, after we've given out the awards. Not for a racing incident. Not for an incident that occurred 25% of the way into the race. There shouldn't be an excuse for that. Got nothing. No. (laughs) I'm, 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 quite frankly, I'm done arguing with you about it. Because there are times when... Penalties get assessed after that. There are are times. They are on a schedule. They are tied to a TV schedule. They are not going to hold a podium ceremony. But they have. They're not going to do it. But they have. And, and, And that's my point is, one, they have held up podium ceremonies because of it. And two, if this was something that happened in the last couple of laps of a race... Absolutely, I could understand not assessing the penalty and saying we'll revisit it after race. Totally could understand it. But it's the fact that this happened in the... We didn't even get halfway through the race. That's where I have a problem with it being so long before they assess the penalty. Absolutely. There are times when... And and we've seen it happen. In the last two or three laps of the race, something happens that deserves a penalty... And that stewards need to review it. And, and they need some time to review it. And they have delayed the podium ceremony. And they've turned around and revisited the results afterwards. Because it's taken that long to assess. But in this case, I don't think there was any reason whatsoever for it to have taken as long as it did. Well, I'm going to tell you that I think that you're making assumptions because you don't have all the facts. There is a reason that it took as long as it did. And we deserve to know that reason. That's my point. I don't know when or if that information is ever going to become public. I'm okay with it. At the end of the day, a penalty was given, a penalty was rescinded. This is the joy of the highs and lows of Formula One. This is the drama that we have a podcast for. All right, let me ask you this. Yes, I'm still bitter about Lewis. Yes, I am. But but if if it was the championship and it was a Max Lewis thing again and it impacted the results that way, would you have been like, yeah, okay, whatever? I'm still bitter over the 2021 championship. And that's why... To the point we don't talk about it. And that's why I don't think the FIA deserves a pass for how they handled this. I'm not giving them a pass because of how they handled it. I'm holding full judgment and burning them at the stake for how they handled it because I don't know all the details. That is the difference. And that's what I'm saying. I am not beating down their door with a pitchfork. You are. Well, but what I'm saying is... 
we deserve to know the details because this was not handled properly. That's what I'm saying. For all you know, some intern hit the button wrong. Great. They need to tell us. No, they don't need to tell yes, us. Yes, they do. They don't need do. to vilify somebody. No, but they need to tell us why they can't make decisions on penalties. Especially because they... How quickly did they hand down the penalty to Ocon last week for the same thing? Questions. The question is, was the same race control to people? Because remember, they're doing the rotating race control. Those are questions we should get answered. Here's, here's no, the thing. It's, those are the questions you want to have answered. Okay. We watch this sport under the assumption that the stewarding and the marshalling is done fair and impartially. And when it's not, we get upset. 2021. Exactly. And based on what happened here, it's not clear that the stewarding and marshalling was done impartially. Not the way this was handled. So we have a right to turn around as fans and go, what the hell happened? Be better. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying lower your expectations. Now, at the end of the day, they reversed the penalties. If anybody wants to feel sorry for somebody, could we go back to feeling sorry for the highs and lows that George Russell went through today? There was that too. I mean, poor George. Maybe he's having a return to the bad luck George days. Let's let's own that for a second. Poor kid. You're on the podium. No, you're not. So, Fernando finishes third. Stays ten third. Se- ten seconds. I'm telling the story. Ten second penalty is handed out. Came out because of video footage of the incident. Appeared to show the rear jack briefly touching the car while Fernando awaited for the mechanics to begin changing his tires. After the decision came down, representatives from Aston Martin went to the Seward's to seek a review of the situation because they felt the rules regarding serving of penalties were not clear. So, while yes, the jack touched the car, apparently the regulations don't explicitly state that mechanics cannot touch it. And that's what I was mentioning before. There's been a gentleman's agreement that no work meant no touchy. And apparently... We are now discussing what does the definition of work mean? Well, article, and and we'll read the the sporting regulation. It's article 54.4C. It says, while car is stationary in a pit lane as a result of incurring a penalty in accordance with articles 54.3A or 54.3B above, it may not be worked upon or it may not be worked on until the car has been stationary for the duration of the penalty. Mike Crack said he believed Aston followed the rules because they did not work on the car until after five seconds had elapsed. Um, Andy Stevenson, who's the sporting director with, with Aston Martin, had been in talk with Ray Stewards about the matter because he suggested that there was ambiguity about the wording of the regulations. So what Mike said is there have been discussion. There are different things in the sporting regulations because it says not working on the car. 
I think the time was clear. Actually, it was more than five seconds because we took some margin. The rules say you cannot work on the car. And to our understanding, we have not worked on the car. So the FIA said that there was an acceptance among the teams that it would deem it a breach of the rules if mechanics did touch the car. Now, statement from the governing body said the steward stated that what was agreed to at the sporting advisory committee meetings with the team was that no part of the car could be touched while a penalty was being served as this would constitute working on the car. After the race, however, Aston Martin said no such agreement was in place with the teams. Mm -hmm. So a statement came out that said, having reviewed the new evidence, we concluded that there was no clear agreement as was suggested to the stewards previously that could be relied upon to determine that parties had agreed that a, a jack touching a car would amount to working on the car without more. In circumstances, we considered that the original decision to impose a penalty on car 14 needed to be reversed and did so accordingly. Mm-hmm. It's just what played out. Yes. You have nothing else? No, I don't. Okay. So, um, let's talk about Mercedes and how little things have happened here. Okay. And actually, overall, it, you know, it, it's not just Mercedes. I, I think we are seeing, and, and I don't think we've ever seen this, in all the time that we have watched Formula One, teams come out like we have seen this year, not just Mercedes, and say, well, we screwed up. Mm -hmm. and, and not just to say we screwed up, but to do it this early in the season of we screwed up. And so, you know, Mercedes has been the, the first to step up and go, yeah, um, th this isn't working for us. We need to go in another direction. Um, Mercedes now thinks, and, and, and Toto Wolff has said what he thinks has happened is that while, yes, they had the data, they had the simulations that said that the concept of the car was not the issue. He says that because of the gains they made last year to address the bouncing and doing all of the other corrections, they saw those gains and as a result, they were not challenging the design of the car like they should have. And because of that, they did not recognize the trouble that they were in. Mm -hmm. um, so they've had crisis meetings and a lot of discussions and figure out where to go from here. Um, they have now said that um, they will be making significant changes to the car and it will probably not be, it probably won't resemble what we have now. What we don't know is how long it's going to take for them to make substantive changes to the car. And, you know, is this truly something that they're going to turn around in the next year? Or are we looking at, you know, Mercedes version of Red Bull's four years out in the weeds and Ferrari's decades in the weeds? Uh, I don't know. How long is the rebuilding year is the question. I got to I got to say something. It's very important. While I believe it is unprecedented that any team has come out so boldly and said, we got it wrong, I really, 
absolutely believe that the way Mercedes is handling it and approaching this statement and what Toto says is fundamental to the culture at Mercedes. We talk about the fact that they really do try to embrace that zero blame culture. And they're they're certainly testing limits. They're they're testing the limits. I get it. But they really do try to, I mean, that's a very big thing to Toto is that zero blame, that we're in it together and we're all working that. But he really outlined a fundamental flaw that is quite honestly very human nature. It is being solely focused on fixing one problem Mm -hmm. that you stop challenging the whole situation. And quite frankly, I find that to be an incredibly humble and self-aware leader of that team. And I mean, I get, I'm very biased. I'm very pro Mercedes. I'm pro Toto. And I just really think that that is really telling about where I think they'll actually come out. I believe this Phoenix is going to rise from the ashes because of that single focus that Toto's like, hang on, we stopped asking the questions. And I think they'll come out of it faster than McLaren did in the pull rod, push rod year. Well, or, you know, some of the other years. The question is, can they come out fast enough? Because, so, I was talking to Andy Benson. You were talking to Andy Benson. Yeah, Andy and I were chatting. He was telling, us, telling me about a meeting he had with Adrian Newey. All right, he was telling everybody on Five Live this, but still. Um. Um, you were in your car by yourself, so it was a personal conversation. Yeah, pretty time. much. Um, but, um, Andy was talking to Adrian Newey over at Red Bull and, you know, the, the conversation started with, wow, Adrian, you know, you, you defied the odds and, and, you know, designed another amazing car. And Adrian went on to talk about, you know, he was really concerned when this rule package came out, the way it was written, that they were very prescriptive and that, um, you know, there was going to be a challenge to find areas to eke out extra performance, and there were going to be challenges to find areas that they could truly develop. Um, and that certainly was the reason behind it. Now, I think last year when we saw three very distinct and different concepts, it wasn't quite that way. But Adrian said that as he has dug deeper into the rules over the course of the last year, he has identified a whole lot of areas that he thinks are worth digging into that there can be some fairly significant refinement. Hmm. And on one hand, you know, I I think for all the other teams, hearing Adrian Newey say something like that has got to be scary as hell. Because you look at already where the Red Bull is, and if Adrian's going... This is what I'm getting out of the car now. And I think there's other areas that I can dig into. On one hand, you got to be thinking, oh, crap. On the other hand, no. If Adrian can find stuff, there's no reason everybody else can't find him too. Well, I mean, frankly, based on that story, if I was Mercedes, McLaren, anybody else on the grid, Mm -hmm. I would hear that statement as being lots of hope. Because... If there is one path, and only one path, 
that's workable, then there's no touching Red Bull until the rules change. Mm-hmm. But if Adrian is saying there are other areas within this package that can be exploited and what Adrian doesn't necessarily know is if it has to be in combination of what he's already got or maybe it would be an alternate path but that's hopeful well there is more to be found here the other thing that, that folks are taking a lot of hope in is again look at the massive jump that Aston has made Mm -hmm. in the last two years. And there's the thought of if Aston could pull it off, why can't we, especially knowing the fact that Aston hasn't finished the new wind tunnel yet, they haven't finished the new factory yet, and if they were able to find something and turn stuff around, everybody else should be able to do the same. Right. Um, Mercedes has also said that as a result of the meetings that they have had so far and the work that they've done so far, They've and this idea of changing the philosophy, and they haven't really given a whole lot as to where they're going with that. They've already started to see some gains. Um, apparently, whatever that they're doing, they've decided to make changes to how the car is set up. Now, Lewis says he's not happy with it and he doesn't feel connected to the car. Um, George seems to be doing a bit better with it, but they're saying that they're already starting to see some gains. I don't know. They're, they're, they're still pretty far back. Yeah, they are. But, you know, finishing fourth today, that's not super far. It's not. Um, the Ferraris are out of position. And that's that the question is, are the Ferraris out of position or is that being Ferrari? I, I think I would feel more positive about it if... Both cars were ahead of the Astons. Mm-hmm. I would feel much more positive about it. Um, and, and, and I know Mercedes' general feeling is that's not where they want to be. Even if there's improvements there, this isn't what they want either. They want to be challenging the Red Bulls. They want to be at the front. They don't want to be best of the rest. Right. Um, also, real quick on the Mercedes news, we found out this week that... Um, Something has happened, and Lewis will be parting ways with his physio, Angela Cohen. Um, Angela's pretty distinctive figure in the uh, in the paddock and in the pit lane. Um, her hair stands out quite a bit, and she's actually shorter than Lewis, which is kind of amazing in its own right. Well, and significantly shorter than yeah. Lewis. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that that's the important piece of this. Lewis is not a tall man. I believe he's about 5'6", five, 5'7", five, maybe. And she is a head shorter than Lewis. Yeah. If she stands five feet tall, I'd be stunned. Um, but, I. But she they've been together for seven years. And I thought it was longer than that. I thought that they were together going back to the McLaren years. Apparently not. Um, but Angela has truly been... The, the the right hand person for for Lewis. I mean, she is the one who who greets him when he's getting out of the car. She helps him into the car. She's got all of the stuff. There is photos, and I think it was from last year. Photos of Angela hauling. I'm, I'm assuming since it was last year, it had to be Roscoe 
hauling Roscoe down spiral staircases behind Mercedes Motorhome <laughs> from two stories up. <laughs> and 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 she's kind of she she she's holding Roscoe. Um, you know her her hands are under Roscoe's front shoulders. And he's dangling down underneath <laughs> as she's trying to navigate this spiral staircase with him. And Roscoe's not a small dog. No. <laughs> Roscoe's a bulldog and thus pretty hefty. But, I mean, she's a spitfire and we know that. She She's repeatedly described as Lewis's rock. Um, in the COVID- Mercedes describes her as a mascot of the team. Wow. Um, <clears throat> in the COVID years, the height of COVID... Angela was the one person Lewis allowed near him. Yes. Um, that was that was his bubble, quite frankly. Um, so I don't know what's happened. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm hoping that it's amicable. The one thing that nobody is it saying. It sounds like it. They're not saying it's amicable or it's not amicable. So I'm going to make the assumption that it's amicable. But I also haven't heard Lewis come out and say, you know, I wish Angela well, and we had. Oh, well, he did. Yeah, so, so that's how we found out. Was both of them put out social media statements, wishing each other the best, and it's been great years, and gonna miss you, and wish you all, you know, all of that. Um, the only thing that Mercedes is saying, other than the fact that Toto said that Angela is probably the only person in the pit lane with a voice louder than a car starting. Um, but the only thing that Mercedes will say is that this is Lewis's decision. Angela doesn't work for the team. She works for Lewis. Um, and apparently Angela, she, I don't even think she's a direct employee of Lewis, but rather of another company that basically provides physios to several of the drivers. And she worked for Lewis under that contract is what it sounds like um but apparently this would be lewis's decision not mercedes decision we don't know anything else but it sounds like it it, i mean at least based on their social media posts it sounds amicable yeah i mean when you first told me this i got very concerned that we may have moody lewis again because she's been such a a concern a rock for him and so much of the maturity that we saw in lewis kind of coincided with her appearance at his side Mm -hmm. And so I've always credited her with that, but maybe he just grew and I don't know, but it's going to be odd to not see the short little blonde at the side of the track. So it's not just like we said, it's not just Mercedes that is kind of sticking their head up and going, we got a problem here. And again, I don't think we've ever heard this. Franz Toast is criticizing the car. So what he said this week, and it has been turning heads. Um, Unfortunately, I think it's currently the performance level of the car because we expected a much better car. We struggled in Bahrain. It looks a bit different here. I hope that at least we are one car in Q3 qualifying, but we have to do a lot of things to make the car faster, especially in the aerodynamic side. There are different programs going on. The engineers are telling me we will make some good progress, but I don't trust them anymore. I just want to see the lap time because this is the only thing which counts. Wow. I don't trust my engineers. Whoa. Yeah. So he was pushed on this. You know, 
Really? You don't trust your engineers? What's going on? And France said, during the winter months, they told me the car is fantastic. We've made big progress. Then we come to Bahrain and we are nowhere. What should I say? I, I, I can't recall a time that we have had a team principal speak out this way. I, I and, and against his own team. Mm-hmm. Against his own team. Against other teams, yeah. But against your own, I mean, imagine being one of his engineers right now. Mm-hmm. Just imagine. He just came out and said you're crap at your job. Yeah. And then, you know, by comparison, let's look over at Ferrari. And we, we're we hearing all kinds of rumors that there is a lot of turmoil going on over at Ferrari right now. And you add on top of that the fact that we, we had Charles Leclerc taking a penalty for using two electronics control units after one race. Mm-hmm. And the team's going, we, we don't know what's going on here. We don't even know why it's not working, but we have a reliability yeah. issue. Yeah. It, it, it's not, I mean, we've had that. We've had McLaren. We went down the wrong path, and it's going to be a couple of months before we straighten this out. I wonder. I, I, I wonder if this is a sign, taking a step back, I wonder if this is much more of a sign of the slightly more open culture about the teams the the i would call it the drive to survive effect there's a need because so much is being pushed out there with the the drive to survive concept and publicity and that so much of the back end inner workings i'm wondering if the idea within the teams is we're going to have to own this sooner rather than later just from a goodwill standpoint, just from a press piece of this, if we get ahead of it, then we don't become the butt of it during a, a recap show that's going to launch at the beginning of next season. And there's something, I'm, I'm, I'm scratching at that surface of there's an openness, and I know Formula One's historically not been an open concept mm-hmm. there, but there's been an openness of it, you know, announcing without playing games that there's something wrong, we're working on it, we're doing this, we're pivoting. All of those things are much different in the drive to survive years than we ever saw before. Well, and and I'm wondering if it is drive to survive, maybe for a slightly different reason than, than you think it is. But if it's this idea of we've got the drive to survive cameras there, and they're seeing these internal discussions and these internal conversations, which means if we don't turn around and get ahead of it, it's not going, it's going to come out because they're going to leak it long before Drive to Survive is produced. I I don't think they're necessarily, I'm kind of wondering if there's concern that, yeah, we know this will get captured when Drive to Survive comes out next year, but maybe there's concern that it'll come out before next year. I don't know because Drive to Survive has been very good and I'm, I have to get And that's why there's been willingness to let them in. Because they've been very good to keep some of this drama really under wraps. But think about it this way. If I'm sitting there being the team principal and I know things are going mm-hmm. ass over tea kettle and I know that 
And I'm having those conversations and the Drive to Survive cameras are sitting there in that room. So I know it's going to get highlighted. I know that they're going to wind up with a, a show highlighting how I got how I got it wrong. How much easier would that be for my sponsors, for my team, for my fans, if they already knew it? If they've had a year to marinate on it and say, well, so when we see it in, when we see it in April of next year and we see Toto Wolf sitting in the meeting going, guys, we got this really wrong. We should probably like do something about it. Everybody that's watching, it's going to go, yeah. And then look what they did. Because that's the hero story. Yeah. If you're going to start thinking about the story, it's, well, we owned it in April. We owned it in March. By November, we did something. By mid-season, we did something. Now you've given a different narrative to Drive to Survive. Assuming that Drive to Survive takes it. Well, you're hoping. You're <laughs> wanting to seed them with the right narrative. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see how things play out over the next couple of weeks. I thought we had another story. Yeah, Leclerc and... Oh. That was it. That was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. You're well, not going to... You've already ranted once. I'm hoping that you're not going to go into the new rant of we shouldn't be in Saudi Arabia. Well, no, no, it, it, it's we, we, we no longer race as one. We race in Saudi Arabia. And, and I could go into sport washing and the fact that, you know, this, this F1 claims to, to, you know, be a mechanism for societal change. And, and that's why they go to these places. And yet they do not address anything. And they have had zero impact. Yeah, I, I, I won't go into that. Um, we could have, but we won't. I think we just did. Oh, no, we would have gone into it deeper. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is there is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.